All right, welcome to the last episode of Choppers in the Weeds for 2022. Changing the format up a little bit rather than do interviews. I am going solo and going to cover a few topics that were thrown out to me via Instagram Live. Um, was recording it and had some issues. And oh, I'm not peeing, I'm making coffee. But uh, <clears throat> so I threw it out there and said, if you have a topic you want me to cover on this last podcast of 2022, send it and I will do what I can to cover it. Um, had a few suggestions and recommendations, and I'm going to go with those. Um, one of the things that always comes up when I ask that question is chopper history. And, you know, the, the narrative that's out there right now about, you know, GIs coming back from World War II and wanting to make their bikes lighter weight and faster, like the bikes they found in Europe. Um, you know, the thing about choppers, right, <clears throat> is that the living history part of choppers is almost gone. There's very few people that were around back then that are still alive and coherent enough to talk about it. You know, most of the chopper history that we know firsthand is after Easy Rider, 1970s, a little bit of late 60s, but, you know, that's going away quickly. A lot of those people are dying off. And, you know, I don't want to go out and talk about things that I don't know about. And I really don't see the purpose of just... Sorry, coffee. Um, I don't see the purpose of, of rehashing things that have already been written. Um, but I can talk about my own personal, you know, history with choppers and what I saw firsthand and what I heard firsthand from people that were around. So I'm going to do a little bit of a chopper history segment here. And like everything else, you know, I hate to put disclaimers out there, but this is the stories that I heard. And these are the things that I saw. You might have heard other stories from other people who are also there, maybe different parts of the country. Um, and you may have a different version of chopper history. Um, if you do, you know, I encourage you write it down, put it out on blog, do a podcast, tell your story. This is my story. If you want to argue about it, write on, send it. Um, I'll stand behind anything I say is what I know to be the truth. Um, but so where do you want to start? Right. <clears throat> You know, chopper history is pretty well documented in the 70s because we had magazines. But magazines only told their story, and they didn't tell the whole story. Uh, most of the magazines were central to California, Southern California. Uh, they covered the Bay Area a lot and Northern California. Um, there was some stuff out there from Texas and the Midwest. Obviously, the L4 Estero history is pretty well documented now. Um, you know, and things just evolved from there. Most of that stuff we know about. So is there really a purpose to talking about that? Well, you know, like I said, I don't want to tell somebody else's story. So starting with my story, um, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, the East Bay. And one of the things that I've learned is the further you get from California, the less those distinctions matter. You know, to people out here on the East Coast, the whole Bay Area is basically San Francisco. Um, I've gone on at length about the difference between San Francisco and the East Bay. And then even in the East Bay, you've got Oakland, and then you've got, you know, parts of the East Bay like Concord, which is really distinctly different even from Oakland. But Oakland's a lot closer in attitude and life things than, say, San Francisco. Um, 
you know, San Francisco was a whole nother world to me. And, you know, I went out there for concerts and stuff, but, you know, this is just me as a kid, didn't get out there that much. Um, my family was around a lot of bikers. <clears throat> and, you know, I remember distinctly being a little kid, maybe five or six years old, and being in the garage, you know, with the smell of stale Budweiser cans and, and 50 weight oil and gasoline, um, and guys working on old shovel heads and iron heads. Uh, the guys that we knew, that's all that they could afford. Um, I remember the first Evo I saw, and, uh, you know, nobody was chopping Evos in, in the early 80s that I knew of. Um, I was around a bunch of, you know, tweakers that like to fuck with pan heads, shovel heads, and iron heads. Um, and I saw a lot of that as a kid, you know, and around that time, the only thing that people really cared about was going fast. Um, you know, style wasn't as flamboyant as in the seventies, you know, it was a lot of <clears throat> flat black, dark colors, no flashy paint, no flames, nothing like that. It was just, you know, basically what we used to call rat bikes. Um, they weren't show bikes, you know, they were things cobbled together with, you know, basically the best that you could afford, but these weren't people that had a lot of money. And if they had money, they spend it on dope. <laughs> so and I'm just being straight up about that. Um, and then as I got older, you know, and Evos became the thing, you had a real distinction between yuppies and bikers. Um, guys on fancy soft tails with Evo motors, you know, everybody just called those guys yuppies. And, you know, things like the Redwood Run that used to be real fun, you know, people just talk shit about because they got taken over by these yuppies or rubs or whatever people want to call them. And uh, honestly, you just didn't see that many choppers around. There was choppers tucked away in garages, you know, survivor choppers. But, you know, most people sold them and, and bought newer, more reliable bikes. Uh, a lot of the people that we knew, you know, when they eventually got their shit together, they got into FXRs, Dynas, Tour Glides, Street Glides, things like that. Um, well, they didn't even have a Street Glide back then. You know, they had the, the ultra classic type bikes and they would strip those down a little bit, um, you know, get rid of the Tour Pack and basically just run the, you know, the, the fairing and the, and the saddlebags. And that eventually is where the Street Glide came from, was people stripping down baggers um, so getting back to the chopper side of things, you know, it wasn't until the late nineties that I started seeing the chopper thing kind of come around again. And a lot of that came from cars, believe it or not. Um, if you, you know, the rat rod thing kind of went crazy in the two thousands, but before that there were people building traditional, you know, post-war style hot rods and customs. And they were just, you know, people in their 20s that wanted something cool and weren't into the current street rod thing with the flashy paint and the billet aluminum. Um, and so they're just building these, you know, pretty basic traditional hot rods. Um, and then with that, you know, the bike thing kind of went right alongside it and people were finding old triumphs and they were finding old pan heads and shovel heads and they were building traditional choppers again. 
and it wasn't cool to have a long bike with long forks or long springer front ends you know the the bobber thing was kind of becoming a thing um and you know we we kind of picked up the word bobber because it was distinctly different from what we thought of as choppers and it was kind of like our own thing you know and i don't know where the term came from and who was the first one to use it again um there's debates and arguments about that shit in forums if you go back and read it we basically called short choppers bobbers and it was just to be a distinctly different from you know the og choppers from the 70s a chopper he called it a bobber uh was my buddy engelbert and at the time he was working for dudley perkins in san francisco um he had just come back from mmi and what he basically did was get a paco frame and a harley crate evo motor and then just built it one piece at a time with takeoff parts from the dealership uh, back then ebay wasn't really a big thing yet and the dealerships would pretty much throw away takeoff parts so if a bike came in and it had a bent, you know, fork leg, you know, he took the other fork leg. Um, you know, somebody came in and upgraded to like a performance machine caliper, he took the the OEM caliper. And eventually he built a budget bike. And back then, you know, it probably cost uh, the average person that was building a custom bike over $10,000 to build a custom bike. He was able to build his bike for, you know, I think he said around $5,000 back then. Um, and that's with, you know, spending, you know, probably close to $2,000 on the motor, um, whatever his dealer discount was. Um, but you know, I have a picture of that bike and looking back at it, you know, it's aside from the white wall tires and the 16 inch front wheel, you know, if you put a, you put a 21 on that thing and you know, it would still be pretty current. Um, it, it aged pretty well, uh, that bike, he sold off a long time ago, but before that, you know, I was mostly into cafe racers and British and European bikes. Um, I wasn't super into Harleys at all. Uh, and a lot of that is from, you know, what I remembered as a kid and the people that rode Harleys and being more of a, you know, skateboarder, punk rocker, you know. These like long haired, heavy metal listening dudes that were, you know, drinking Budweiser and doing methamphetamine. I didn't think that shit was very cool. Um, I definitely wanted to do my own thing. Uh, so I was into the British shit. And the first chopper that I bought, I bought, and I know I've told the story before, but I bought it because I wanted the pre unit motor and transmission to put into a Norton frame and build a Triton. Um, so I found a chopper on either eBay or Craigslist that a guy had down in uh, Ventura. And it was a 1960 pre-unit. Um, 
at one time it had been you know a pretty flashy bike it had a chrome frame uh can't remember the kind of gas tank oh you know what it had a super glide gas tank on it um and it had an extended like honda cb750 front end king and queen seat and i took it home you know with the with the thought of just pulling the motor out and getting rid of the rest of the parts i quickly found out that it had parts that nobody else wanted um and at the same time i was kind of getting interested in the chopper thing because of you know some of the other bikes that were being built around that time um at this time i was living in san diego i don't know if i mentioned that i was in the navy and uh you know you're starting to see more cool old bikes being built around san diego and la so around the same time that you know there's this like underground hot rod scene of guys building cool bikes you also had the mainstream thing going on um west coast choppers was blowing up and that style of like swedish long bike chopper with the fat tires was really kind of gaining steam early 2000s time frame so you know in the mainstream culture you had that and and that's was a chopper um on the other side of that, you know, more underground, you had guys like Jason Jesse, Jason Ferris, Max Schaff, Cole Foster, um, Rico, uh, you know, all of the guys from the centers, Chopper Dave, of course, you know, they were all doing their thing. And that's kind of what I gravitated towards and what I wanted to be a part of. You know, those were people that I identified with that listened to punk rock and rockabilly and were into old cars and old you know, bikes from the fifties and sixties. So I started stripping down that triumph and that's what I built. Um, I never finished it at the same time that that was kind of getting towards, you know, the next step of going through the motor and the transmission. Um, that's when I had my son and that was kind of the end of the chopper thing for me. Um, I just couldn't really afford it. Um, I was able to scrounge up enough money to get a 1978 Sportster, um, and that's kind of its own story, but that's how I got into Harleys. Uh, I had sold the Triumph, uh, sold my other chopper project that I had, um, and then I was trying to slowly fix up the Sportster, um, but it was also my daily rider. So I'd always wanted to do a rigid frame or a frame swap with a Paco frame. I uh, couldn't afford the Paco frame. I didn't have the skills to do a hardtail. Um, you know, I didn't have a place really to work on it. I was living in Navy housing, so I couldn't really weld and do those things. Um, even though I was a welder in the Navy and I had the skills to do it, from the welding standpoint, I didn't have the, the bike knowledge to do it, if that makes sense. So getting back to the chopper history side of things, in the early days when people were building choppers, they were trying to build things that hadn't been done yet. And they were you know, being creative and, and breaking new ground. As time went on and things got more mainstream and more corporate, you know, Harley Davidson started doing factory customs. Um, the, the choppers, thing kind of just it changed right it wasn't the small groups of people that were outside of mainstream society doing their own things 
and doing things to their bike to be different from the mainstream society. It became its own mainstream. And in the 70s, you know, the same time, cars and, and custom cars and bikes usually follow the same trends more or less, right? The big uh, resto mod thing started happening with cars. Uh, and that's when you started seeing people taking, you know, throwback ideas from earlier choppers and modernizing them. And you started to see things like cone shovels with upsweep pipes and disc brakes, you know, and they were building traditional, what we would call now a traditional chopper. But they were, back then, it was kind of like a almost a resto mod thing, right? <clears throat> and you see that in magazines. Um, again, this is just, you know, things that I've observed um, looking at old magazines and watching how things kind of evolved. And around that time, there was the split in the mid 70s of people doing you know traditional choppers and then people going in non-traditional routes with choppers and being more performance based and you know that's kind of when the chopper thing split and you started seeing the the pro street you know and that kind of came from the digger side of things and at the same time you've always had this core of people that have always stuck to traditional choppers you know from the early 70s back and that's never really gone away um, it's gotten more popular and then it's gone away you know to a smaller extent but it's always been there there's always been these loyal traditional chopper people um, and then there's always been the people that were going in new directions with things and that probably peaked in the late 2000s when you kind of took the chopper thing as far as you could go whether it was in good taste or not, highly debatable, right? <clears throat> but, I mean, that was the evolution. And I think, personally, that's when the evolution of the chopper stopped and we kind of just reset the clock. And, you know, the rest is pretty common knowledge, right? Started to see a lot more pan heads, uh, a lot more stock rigid frames, less aftermarket frames, people taking OEM Harley frames and adding reproduction panhead style hardtails to give it more of a factory look which is still not really that factory looking um, there's a lot of differences in frames but you know to the general person you see the cast axle plates see the cast Harley neck and it looks like it could have been a factory frame even though you know it didn't have the sidecar lugs and without being a frame nerd you know you get what I'm saying right and again, we're kind of in that resto mod phase, um, building a, you know, a cone shovel that looks like it could have been built in the 60s, except you're using a motor that didn't come out until the 70s. I think it's really funny that my generation of, of people were really into the, the 50s and 60s thing, you know, more greaser style, you know, which is... Not really our parent. I guess it's kind of like somewhere between our parents' generation, depending on how old your parents were. Um, my dad was born in 56, so he was definitely a teenager during that era. Well, I guess it was after that era. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was be like my dad, right? So the 70s muscle cars and Trans Ams and all that stuff, you know. 
southern rock and and the shit that my dad was into i wanted to get as far away from that as possible um so i guess i was more into the generation before my parents generation um sometime between my grandparents and my parents and i think that that's always going to be a thing right is kids that are getting into choppers now that are in their 20s you know their parents are gen xers you know they drove (laughs) cars from the 80s so you know maybe honda civics and shit like that you know they so the cool thing to them is the thing that was around just before their parents maybe or when their parents were little kids um you know and even with the way that people dress and stuff you know now like you know my youngest is 18 and you know he wears the same clothes that i wear which is weird he is more like me than than i was like my parents if that makes sense it's just a weird time um and and how motorcycles run into that in culture it's just i don't know maybe we're cooler to our kids than our parents were to us but I definitely didn't think anything about the 70s was cool uh, growing up. I thought they were pretty lame. really thought everything after the Beatles was pretty fucking lame, to be honest, at least in America. Um, that's a whole other divergent topic. So I don't know if I'm really covering chopper history that well. I'm kind of intermixing the chopper history that I grew up around and, and my history. But my personal involvement with choppers really started in the early 2000s. So that's what you get. Um, might do some more research and do, uh, it's just hard for me to, I don't want to, it's easier for me to write than it is for me to speak, if that makes sense. So I could write like a really good blog article about the history. It's hard for me just to speak it, especially to myself without having somebody to bounce off of in an interview format. Um, and I'm not going to interview myself. So that is my, how I got into chopper slash chopper history segment. And now, a public service announcement from Pee Wee Herman. This is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine, and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Look, everybody wants to be cool. But doing it with crack isn't just wrong. It could be dead wrong. And we're back. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is something that probably doesn't get talked about on many podcasts, and that is metric choppers. Um, When I was doing my call out on the Instagram, somebody asked me about you know, Honda shadow choppers and whether or not they're worth chopping. Um, my immediate response was absolutely hundred percent. Yes. Um, they're definitely worth doing something with and can be really cool if, uh, you put some work into them. And then i really didn't have anything else to say beyond that because I don't know very much about them. So I did a little bit of history research, you know, um, quick Google search on the history of the Honda shadow. And the Honda Shadow came out in the early 80s, um, and it was targeted towards the American cruiser market. So very much styled after a Harley-Davidson-style motorcycle, but with the 
mechanical engineering refinements that you find with Hondas in general and Japanese motorcycles in general. Um, I said general twice there, but you know what I'm saying. So, you know, they're great motors, um, pretty much indestructible. The problem that you have now is when you find one, if it is cheap, it probably hasn't been well taken care of or somebody has already started a bobber conversion on it and fucked it all up. Um, and wiring on Japanese bikes is a little bit more complicated in general. There I am with general again. Um, I have enough generals here, I'll have an army. Um, but the wiring is complicated, and I'm sure it can be simplified. And, you know, these are just things that I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge about. <laughs> but definitely have seen some cool ones. Uh, one of the things that I would say for anybody thinking about building a chopper with a metric bike is look for one that is chain-driven because that just simplifies everything when you can run a chain. Um, and don't be afraid to try new shit. Um, the, the water-cooled bikes with the radiators, you know, that's, that's a aesthetic challenge to deal with, I guess, because most choppers are based on American and British motorcycles, which were air-cooled. But that shouldn't be enough to scare you off. So if you are thinking about building a chopper and you want to do something a little bit different than, you know, all of the people that are, you know, hardtailing sportsters right now or or shovel heads or whatever, you know, I think that a Honda chopper can be very cool. The CV750 choppers, very well documented, um, older, so they have a lot of the same old bike problems that all old bikes have now, and they have four carburetors, which is a little bit more complicated than dealing with one carburetor. Lots of people have built choppers with them. There's a lot of examples on the internet, and that's true for just about every motorcycle you can think of these days. So... As far as Honda Shadows, go for it. Um, and, you know, if you build something cool, send me pictures. I'll put them up on my page uh, or on my Instagram because I am a big fan of metric choppers, even though I've never built one and probably never will. But I think they're cool, and I like to see people doing different stuff. So I am here for it. <laughs> yours? No, I... Your mother said she found it in your closet. I don't know. One of the guys must have... Must have what? Look, Dad, it's Where not... Where did you get it? Dad, Answer I... me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. All right, so for my last topic... I think we're going to cover moto camping and moto camping could probably be a podcast in itself. Um, if you watch YouTube videos, there's tons of videos out there, people doing the moto camp thing and you know, their suggestions and their way of doing it. Um, I will tell you that camping on a chopper is a lot more fun than camping in a van. And I can say that firsthand, uh, at least my definition of fun. I've done both, and my preference is definitely to pack all of my stuff in a bag, strap it to my sissy bar, and go. Um, which is all great and fun until you break down, and then somebody with a van has to rescue you. But that's, you know, not part of the camping thing. That's just life on the road. Um, 
you know, moto camping, if you've never done it before, I definitely recommend trying to find a campground sort of close to you, uh, maybe within, you know, 30, 45 minutes or closer, depending on where you live. You know, get out of the city and find a campground, maybe a KOA or something that does tent camping, and kind of go through a trial run of what you think you need. And usually you find out that, you know, we have a tendency to overpack. um, And on a motorcycle, you know, you need as much efficiency with your packing as possible. Um, Things that I don't need are usually things that I can, you know, get on the road. So I'm not going to pack a ton of clothes. Um, If I run out of, you know, socks, I'll, I'll go to a Walmart and I'll buy a 12 pack of socks and I'll throw away my socks as I go, um, rather than pack around stinky, dirty socks with me. You know, that might seem wasteful to some people. Um, but that's just how I do things when I travel. Um, if you know, you like to have your morning coffee, jet boils and things like that are good. You know, instant coffee takes up a lot less room. So I like to go to the Asian stores and get like three in one coffees. They usually are pretty high in caffeine content and taste pretty good. All you need is warm water. And in a pinch, you don't even need that. You can pour them into a 20 ounce water bottle and shake the hell out of it and get iced coffee. Um, I like my morning caffeine. So yeah, moto camping, definitely recommend bringing a nice tent, um, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, most of the chopper events you go to, you see plenty of uh, Ozark Trail, Walmart brand, you know, twenty, thirty dollar tents, and they're pretty good. They keep things pretty dry. Uh, obviously, a sleeping bag that is for the weather you're camping in um, doesn't do you a lot of good to have a a winter sleeping bag that's real bulky if you're only camping in the summer, especially in the South where. You really don't even need a sleeping bag at night if you're in a tent. Usually you're using it as a cushion because it's so damn hot at night. Um, Yeah, and then eating food. You know, there's a lot that you can pack with you to cook yourself so that you're not living off of gas station sandwiches and fast food. Um, You know, there's a lot that you can do in a a one-skillet meal um, that condenses pretty easily. So... Moto camping, uh, probably something I'll get into a little bit more in more detail. But um, yeah, if it's something you're thinking about, I, I would recommend doing a short trip and see what works for you and what you need. Um, and then always trying to find a decent place to camp. Um, there's a lot of apps out there now that, that have either free camping or cheap camping that you can find. And the internet is a pretty good resource. Um, I personally am not really comfortable just, you know, side of the road camping. Um, but, you know, I'm a big wimp and I'm not a fan of that at all. I would much rather be somewhere a little bit more safe and secure and legal. Um, but I know a lot of people that do, you know, just find places to camp on the road. And I guess that's the cool way of doing it. Um, but it ain't for me. And that's pretty much it about moto camping that I've got right now. Um, future episodes of the podcast, I will try to put some more work into this and maybe, uh, 
schedule some interviews. I want to get away from doing phone interviews if I can and do more person interviews. I just think that they're a little bit better. But um, if I can't do that, then I probably will do some some Zoom or Skype type interviews. And I would like to post those live maybe on the, uh, the YouTube channel that I have. Um, and in the past, I've always said that this will not be sponsored. And that is still true. Um, I do not have sponsors. And I do not plan on ever having sponsors with this podcast or monetizing it. So there's never going to be a... Uh, Patreon or anything you have to subscribe or pay for. As long as you can get podcasts for free, uh, In the Weeds will be free. Um, also not going to spam you with merchandise or any of that shit. Um, but I do want to thank a few people that do uh, a lot for us, and I want to make sure that I'm shouting them out. So big thank you to Lisa and Chop Colt. Um, if you haven't been on Chop Colt lately go check it out there's been a lot of good articles posted lately and they've been you know back into the routine of things <clears throat> if you didn't know there was a there was a software issue or hardware issue or something with with chop cult and they weren't able to post articles for a long time uh they're getting caught back up and so they're putting out new stuff definitely encourage you to go check that out when you can and let's see who else. Um, Choppers Magazine, they are going to bi-monthly instead of quarterly, so six episodes a year. Uh, I've already subscribed. I highly recommend you do the same. And they reprinted the first issue of Choppers Magazine from the Ed Roth era, 1967. That is available as a limited release. So if you would like a copy of 1967, Choppers Magazine, you can start learning some chopper history yourself. Um, who else? Uh, Smut Butt Magazine, George, always thank you to him. And uh, new subscriptions are available in limited time. He only does so many because those are all hand-folded and mailed out. So if you've never checked out Smut Butt Magazine, now's your chance. Subscribe for the new year. If you want to look at back issues, there may be some available, or you can always uh, get the pdf online versions and i think they'll wrap it up um thanks to everybody that's been around this year that i've hung out with at chopper events had conversations with on you know instant message or whatever um and for all the support that you guys have shown either the instagram page or the podcast i greatly appreciate it all right talk to you all next year Fred absolutely don't like grease. Get it. 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 Get it.